Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we will explore a brand new oratorio, or a choral orchestral work, to receive its world premiere at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, April 19th, presented by the Herbert W. Armstrong College Choral Union, along with professional orchestra and soloists. The new work is titled Abraham, and it captures the tragedies and miracles, the complications and triumphs that test the faith of this devout Old Testament patriarch and his family. So stick around as we explore this dramatic new work and the artists bringing it to Armstrong, today on Music for Life. Only two performances remain in the 2017-18 season for the Armstrong International Cultural Foundation here in Edmond, Oklahoma. This also means that we are nearing the end of our Music for Life season, as this program has been following the concert season schedule and supporting these events by providing program notes on these episodes. For the final event of the season, we have the Glenn Miller Orchestra on Thursday, May 10th, but before that, we have a world premiere of a brand new choral orchestral work on Thursday, April 19th. And if you are anywhere near central Oklahoma, I'd encourage you to be in the room for this event. There's a certain electricity about seeing the debut of a new piece of music. More than just being there for the music, it even gives you a part in making history, because what would a world premiere be without an audience to receive it? And if you absolutely can't be physically in the same room as us when we premiere this, you will be able to stream it at live.pcog.org live.pcog.org at 7.30 p.m. Central Time that evening of April 19th. Two seasons ago, we performed the world premiere of my oratorio, which set the text of Solomon's Song of Songs to music. This concert will be even bigger with a larger orchestra, still comprised mostly of players in the local Philharmonic, And as universal as the theme was in Song of Songs, that of a love story, the account that we are relaying in this oratorio is at least just as relatable. It is a patriarch of ancient times honored by three of the world's major religions. The account sticks to that narrated in what the Jews would call the Hebrew Bible or what Christians would call the Old Testament. Today we will talk about the story flow of this particular oratorio, but also the musical themes that go along with it, so you're clued in on some of the interesting details that will help you follow along. But first, let's talk about the artists bringing this event. The Herbert W. Armstrong College Choral Union is an ensemble that combines the efforts of students, faculty, staff, and local members of the Philadelphia Church of God to perform choral orchestral masterpieces along with professional orchestra comprised of the area's finest musicians. Its most significant performance to date was the inaugural concert for Armstrong Auditorium September 5, 2010. With its largest sized group ever, consisting of 130 voices, the ensemble performed an unabridged version of Felix Mendelssohn's famous masterpiece, Elijah.
The Herbert W. Armstrong College Choral Union has also performed G.F. Handel's Messiah and his coronation anthems, Johannes Brahms's Requiem, and premiered new works, as mentioned earlier. Its performances have featured nationally acclaimed vocal soloists David Grogan, Pamela Williams, James Dewing, Anne Harrell, Amy Weiss, as well as the voice faculty at Herbert W. Armstrong College. And as stated before, this season our choral union, under its conductor Mark Jenkins, will team up with professional orchestra and premiere this new composition of mine titled Abraham. In addition to our 70-member strong choral union this year, the work will feature three main soloists. I will be in the title role, and singing the role of Abraham's wife will be my wife, soprano Paula Malone, who is on the voice faculty here at Armstrong College. She is also known in this community for her many collaborations and concerts on the Armstrong series, collaborations ranging from the late Marvin Hamlish to guitarist Pepe Romero. She has also performed leading roles in Armstrong's various stage productions, musical theater productions that relay a biblical account. I'll play a sample of Paula's voice later as we get into our discussion more specifically about this new oratorio. In the role of the servant Hagar will be mezzo-soprano Pamela Williams, a member of the Lyric Opera of Chicago, as well as a frequent soloist across the United States. She was our alto soloist in Mendelssohn's Elijah, which I referenced earlier as being our inaugural Armstrong Auditorium concert. And I want to play you one of the arias she sang at that concert because it showcases her voice well and it also comes close to the kind of singing Hagar will be doing in Abraham. From Mendelssohn's Elijah, that was Woe Unto Them Who Forsake Him, from Armstrong Auditorium's inaugural concert back in September 2010, singing that aria was the nationally acclaimed mezzo-soprano Pamela Williams, a member of the Lyric Opera of Chicago. The color and nature of that aria from Mendelssohn's Elijah is quite similar, I think, to some of the singing required of the character in the world premiere of Abraham being performed on Thursday, April 19th at Armstrong Auditorium. I should also mention that the orchestra featured in this work is a professional orchestra, not a school ensemble. The orchestration calls for flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, horn, trumpet, trombone, various percussion, harp, 
and strings for a total of 31 players. These roles of these instrumentalists will be filled by leading orchestral musicians in our community, again, many of whom are on the rosters of the local philharmonics in the region here, from Tulsa to Fort Smith to Lawton and right here in Oklahoma City. All right, now let's get into our discussion of the plot of this oratorio on the life of Abraham, as well as what to listen for musically that ties this composition together. In a work like this, it's common for composers to use melodic devices to unify what's happening. And what I mean is composers will commonly assign a particular musical idea to a particular character or a particular line of text, or perhaps a particular musical instrument to a particular idea or line of text. Now, knowing beforehand what those devices are will make for a much more enriching and engaging experience. First, the characters. As mentioned before, there are three main ones represented in the soloists. Abram, who is later called Abraham, his wife Sarai, who is later called Sarah, and Sarai's handmaiden, Hagar. Much later in the storyline, we add one more soloist, a small tenor solo role playing the role of Isaac as a young man. This role will be sung by Joel Hilliker, a faculty member here at Herbert W. Armstrong College, who is probably best known in Armstrong Auditorium performance history as the man who played King Sennacherib in our musical about Isaiah, Hezekiah, and Sennacherib just over three years ago. The chorus represents a few different characters. Together they can represent the people, but the male chorus will represent the role of Melchizedek, the king-priest of Salem. And the female chorus will represent the two angels or messengers who accompany Melchizedek in his travels. To represent the duo of angels, the female chorus always sings in two-part harmony, the standard soprano and alto division, to represent the two voices. And I think that will really help make a distinct difference between the Melchizedek sound and the angelic sound. Now, these are the characters who carry the plot, which is divided into two parts and 22 movements, 13 movements in the first part and nine movements in the second part. The work runs about an hour, 40 minutes, so with a 20-minute intermission to get some pie and coffee, about a two-hour engagement. So again, 22 movements, 13 movements in the first part, nine movements in the second part. And I know that we usually like to hear works in their entirety without applause between movements, but that usually applies to works that have only a few movements or a small suite. But in the case of a long choral orchestral work such as this with so many movements, we would be happy for people to applaud after any movement or any piece in which they felt moved to do so. And that might sound a little funny coming from the composer of the work and one of the performers to say, uh, clap as much as you'd like, but I do think it will add an energy and an electricity to this world premiere. As we would expect from most oratorios, the first movement of this work is the overture, the instrumental-only introduction before the vocal action begins. The overture is in three sections, which in my mind depict, number one, the life of Abram before being called by God, the grandeur and sophistication of that prior life, number two, the calling of Abram, and number three, his sojourning through Canaan and the nearby regions. Before the opening section is a brassy introduction that sounds a lot like this. Here it is on a piano. In the top voice of those chords, you hear this. 
A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A are the notes. This is my hopefully clever way of foreshadowing that Abram will be a father, a Hebrew word for father being transliterated as A, B, and the endearing term for daddy in the Bible is A, B, B, A. You'll hear that come up in other spots throughout the work, A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. Anyhow, after about 11 musical measures of introduction, we get into the groove of this first section, again, representing the grandeur and sophistication of Abram's life before moving to Canaan. Secular history indicates he was a master mathematician, scientist, and cultural philanthropist, which is discussed in the first vocal number of the work. Here's how the main theme goes for this opening section. This melody travels throughout the orchestra until it climaxes at this chord. Next, you will hear this motive in the winds. Followed by... This exact material appears much later when Melchizedek charges Abraham to sacrifice his son. The male chorus sings Abraham's name on this motive. And Abraham sings, Here I am, on this motive. So the overture foreshadows that material. Later we get into the third section of the overture, which is about Abram's nomadic life journeying through the region in and around Canaan. This material here represents that flavor well, I think. This material happens later in one of the vocal numbers, a movement titled God Sees, so it indicates that God is watchful over his servant Abram throughout this time in life. This particular section of the overture and the overture itself ends with this theme. And this material shows up a lot later in the work. This is the theme we hear every time the chorus sings, 
God will provide, indicating in this movement that God is providing all of Abram and Sarai's needs throughout their journeys. The overture ends peacefully, and then we move into the boisterous first movement that includes the chorus and main soloists. It's called Honor the Victor, and it begins the action where Abram has just conquered an alliance of four Assyrian kings. These have oppressed the kings ruling around the Valley of the Salt Sea, the most prominent being the king of Sodom, who's been oppressed by these four Assyrian kings. In one particular skirmish, Abram's nephew Lot, who lives in that region, was captured. So Abram armed his 318 trained servants, all born in his house, it says, and chased after the Assyrian alliance and smote them, it says in Genesis 14. Verse 16 reads, And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot, or that's his nephew, and his goods and the women also and the people. The account says that the king of Sodom came to celebrate Abram's victory, basically, and that's the context for the second movement of this oratorio, or the first vocal number after the overture. In this movement, the chorus represents the people singing of Abram's accomplishments. The soloists Sarai and Hagar also chime in on the narrative to help give us important backstory to Abram's life. In the next movement, Abram shifts the focus off himself to a king, priest, and ruler of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek has arrived to bless Abram with bread and wine and to remind all that Abram is blessed of the Most High God who delivered the enemies into his hand. The biblical account says of Melchizedek that Abram gave him tithes of all, or a tenth of all. This phrase is expounded upon in the next movement, an aria titled, The Best of My Best. Now, for a little musical background on this movement, The Best of My Best, tithing means giving a tenth, so I built this piece around the musical interval of a tenth. So, if we're on a G, the tenth above that is this note. That's a B. And the introduction to this aria is done as a harp solo playing in tenths like this. The melody that Abram sings goes like this. And here are the tenths. Now, a few months ago, I sang this with piano accompaniment, so I want to play you a little of this live preview, just so you can hear how these things are incorporated into this movement. I give to my Lord the best of my best, the first of my first, with which I am blessed, I give to my Lord the best of my best. Though he owns it all, he gives me the rest. In the next movement, titled Just Passing Through, the chorus begins by praising Abram again, this time showing how the king of Sodom is trying to honor Abram by letting him keep the spoils of the victory, spoils which beforehand would have belonged to Sodom's king. Abram refuses to accept any of it 
beyond the food he ate at this occasion. He says that he has vowed never to be indebted to an earthly king, and that accepting one small thread or stitch would fasten him unto this world if he, the king of Sodom, could claim he made Abram rich. That serves as the recitative for this movement, and then it moves into the sprightly aria, where Abram explains how he is merely a pilgrim in this world, just passing through, traveling toward an eternal spiritual city. I'll play another live preview of this movement with piano accompaniment, but I wanted to mention something about the accompaniment first. The verses are accompanied by this figure. Now, it's hard to tell on a piano, but each of these three-note patterns literally pass through the string section of the orchestra. So the violin ones play one sequence, the violin twos play the next, and the violas play the next before the pattern oscillates back through those three sections. I think this will be very effective when hearing it live as this pattern passes through the higher strings of the orchestra. So let's hear another live preview of this movement in this recording. As with the last, I've been singing the role of Abram, and at the piano is the always impressive Mark Jenkins, who will be conducting this oratorio on April 19th. With hope-filled vision now in mind, the destination now in store, forgetting things which are And so the movement doesn't really resolve on the chord we'd expect to further illustrate this idea of just passing through, even harmonically. That was just passing through a live recording where that movement was previewed with our conductor, Mark Jenkins, on the piano there on the Armstrong Auditorium stage, where the full oratorio will be premiered Thursday, April 19th. Next in the plot, we are at the scene where Abram's wife, Sarai, prepares for his return home. She and her maidens are preparing, are getting dressed up for his arrival. And here is where Sarai, in this movement called Adorn the Heart, explains that real adorning, real beauty, occurs on the inside. It is based on a concept related in the New Testament, where the Apostle Peter exhorts the women of the church to consider the adornment of their character rather than putting undue emphasis on physical beauty, and he points to 
Sarah's example in the Old Testament. Again, singing the role of Sarai, later called Sarah, is my wife, soprano Paula Malone, who was on the voice faculty here and a frequent performer at Armstrong. Here is a live preview of her singing this on our stage here, starting from where Sarai begins her admonition to her maidens.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring my new oratorio, Abraham, as well as the artists presenting it. In the lead-up to its world premiere at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, April 19th, 2018. And I'd encourage you to be in the room for this if you're anywhere near the central Oklahoma area. We just heard soprano Paula Malone on the voice faculty here at Armstrong singing the aria of Sarai titled Adorn the Heart, a live preview recording made on the stage here at Armstrong with just a Steinway piano playing a reduction of the fuller orchestration that you'll hear at the premiere. So Abram has arrived home from his victorious military campaign to rescue his nephew Lot, and he explains some of what has happened to his wife since we have heard from him last, and this helps explain it to us as well. In the movement called Promises, which is much like a long recitative, in other words, just moving the plot forward, Abram explains to Sarai and to us how he had a dream where God promises him descendants as numerous as the stars. Abram wonders if this honor would come through his servant, Eliezer of Damascus, who is like a son to him. God answers that the heir he speaks of would come from his loins, Now, Sarai believes at this point that she's holding Abram back from receiving these promises because she's too old. She's in her 70s now, well past childbearing age, and so if the son is to come from Abram, he must have it another way. And she reasons that she can give Abram her maid, Hagar, to conceive the child, and the child will legally count as Abram's and Sarah's. Our next movement skips ahead in the story. An angel finds Hagar fleeing south toward Egypt and asks why she is heading that way. And Hagar, in this movement called God Will Hear, fills in the details that we've just skipped. How her mistress asked her to conceive a child with Abram and all the turmoil that this brought into the home. In the first verse, she sings the refrain in this manner. I cannot explain what changed in my eyes. The lady I loved, my heart now despised. The life that I bore exalted this maid. My mistress's rank had started to fade. The second time through this melodic material, after telling more of the details, she sings the refrain this way about Sarai. I cannot explain what changed in her eyes, the servant she loved, her heart now despised. The life that I bore, the harshness it bred, was hopeless travail, so from her I fled. After her section of singing, the male chorus enters, representing the words of Melchizedek here, who sings... The humble cry, and God will hear. From heaven he will bend his ear, regarding each petition with great care. Their supplication he has heard. From every tear to every word, attentively he listens to each prayer. These lyrics will come back again and again throughout the work, set to the same musical material. So listen for that, and we'll hear a sample of this later. Also worth noting in this movement is that this is where Hagar is told by this divine messenger what to name the boy she is pregnant with. Ishmael, it means God will hear, which is described in this movement. In this movement, she is also told to return to Sarai and Abram and to know that God is aware of her situation. The next movement is sung entirely by Hagar, which is called God Sees. It dawns on her that the divine messenger who has spoken to her is the God of Abram and Sarai. The Bible said she named the place where this interaction happened Beher Lechai Rohi, which literally means well of the living one seeing me. So her aria dwells on the ability of God to see and look after everything. It is adapted from Genesis 16, 13, where she says, You God see me, 
have I also here looked on him who sees me? And it also incorporates verses from the Bible that expound on similar ideas. Also on our Armstrong Auditorium stage with the Steinway piano playing an orchestral reduction, we had one of our voice students here record a live preview of this movement. Her name is Brandy Davis, and she is understudying the role of Hagar. Again, the role will be sung by Pamela Williams of the Lyric Opera of Chicago, but here is a recording of Miss Davis singing it to give you a sense of how this movement goes. That was one of our voice students here, Brandy Davis, understudy for the role of Hagar, singing a live preview of Hagar's aria, God Sees, with piano accompaniment. I'm playing a few of these samples today to give you a sense of how this works. On April 19th, this work will be sung by mezzo-soprano Pamela Williams, along with the professional orchestra that we have contracted for this event. Next in the storyline, we return to Abram's current residence where Melchizedek and two angels come to visit. You hear Abram's excitement in the string accompaniment.
as he prepares a meal for his guests, we also hear a reprise of the best of my best melody over top of the quickly moving string parts. Later in this movement, the male chorus then sings about Abram and Sarai and how their names will be changed to Abraham and Sarah, respectively. After this movement, we have a movement called Promises Reprise, where we hear the same accompanying pattern we heard in the original Promises movement, this dreamy, rapid string passage. Here, Abram is told that he would have another son, and this would be through Sarah. When Abram is told that the boy's name is to be Isaac, which means laughter, for the laughter in your heart, they sing, the wind section of the orchestra punctuates this two-syllable name with two staccato chords to sound like joyful laughter, and Isaac's name is usually treated with this accompanying figure in the wind section. This is also the movement where we start to realize that every time Ishmael is mentioned, the clarinet is playing, and the clarinet begins to represent Ishmael now. And in the next movement, titled Laughter, where Sarah overhears this promise that she will bear a son, a 90-year-old Sarah, by the way, we hear the winds helping underscore this idea of laughter. This song also has Sarah imitating laughter on coloratura passages, first in the form of humming under her breath, basically, and then later in singing on the syllable ha. And if you want to refer back to episode 44 of Music for Life, we had an episode called Music for Laughter, where we explored how composers imitated laughter in their works, and we saw how there are great laughing songs that usually sopranos, coloratura sopranos, get to sing in various operas or stage productions, and I hope this laughing song, Sarah's laughing song, can make it into the repertoire, perhaps. This doubtful laughing song is followed by a comforting chorus from Melchizedek, later joined by the angels, where the question is posed to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Which is the title of this movement, and this movement marks the end of part one. We'll listen to a sample of this a little later, but I want to move ahead in the plot now. The second half begins with a movement titled Intercession. It begins with this somber-sounding intro in the lower winds and brass. And in this movement, we hear Melchizedek and the angels discussing the evil in Sodom and Gomorrah and how it needs to be punished and destroyed, basically. The question is, should he tell Abraham of his plans in Sodom? He decides to do so, at which time it occurs to Abraham that the city in question is where his nephew Lot lives. So Abraham asks God what it would take to spare the city's destruction. How many righteous people, in other words, would have to live there? In this movement, the chorus celebrates this idea of interceding prayer as Abraham is interceding on behalf of someone else. It also reprises the idea mentioned earlier that the humble cry and God will hear. Let's hear that in this movement as sampled by the Herbert W. Armstrong College Choral Union under the direction of Mark Jenkins. This is with piano accompaniment instead of orchestra in a live preview recorded on the Armstrong Auditorium stage.
We just heard an excerpt of Intercession, a movement from Abraham and Oratorio that was a live preview recording made by the Armstrong Choral Union with Alexa Turgeon playing the piano reduction on the Armstrong Auditorium stage. The next movement moves forward in the action when Isaac, the son of the elderly Abraham and Sarah, is old enough to be weaned. At this point, the parents hold a celebration for this milestone in the young boy's life. The movement is for Sarah and full chorus, representing the people at this celebration. She fills in some of the story that has been skipped, how that though she was barren, she now had a son. She even addresses a past situation where Abraham claimed to a neighboring king that Sarah was only his sister. And during that time, God cursed this king's house to where the women couldn't bear children until he knew who Sarah was and until Abraham prayed for God to open the barren wombs, much like God had done for Sarah. So the refrain of the song calls on the barren woman to rejoice in joyful praise of God. In addition to being based on the Old Testament narrative in Genesis, it also adapts a passage from Isaiah 51 verses 1 and 2, which says to those seeking God to look to their father Abraham and unto Sarah that bear them. It also adapts a passage from the New Testament, Galatians 4, 27 to 28, which is where the title of this movement comes from, Rejoice, you barren who bear not. Break forth and cry, you who travail not, verse 27 reads. And verse 28 says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So as would be expected, this piece is sprightly and jubilant. Sarah even refers again to laughter in this movement based on a verse in Genesis 21.6, but this is referring to a more joyful rather than a cynical laughter. The verse reads, God has made me to laugh so that all who hear will laugh with me. And the laughter is represented in her singing staccato ha's over the top of the chorus singing hallelujah. And you might notice the unusual rhythmic pattern there. This piece is largely in 10-8 time. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. This gives a certain lilt, I think, that helps with the jubilant nature of this movement. Now, after this boisterous and high-octane piece is over, we have to immediately shift gears emotionally. What happens at this feast is Ishmael, Abraham's son through Hagar, remember, starts laughing at the little Isaac. Sarah overhears this and points out to her husband that this is not just the laughter of disbelief, of cheer, or delight, but of scoffing, derision, and spite. Musically, as stated before, Ishmael is represented by the clarinet. To represent this laughing, I have the clarinet play exactly the same laughing motive in Sarah's earlier laughing song. But to create a sense of it being a mocking-type laughter, I have other wind instruments playing a half-step off from the clarinet. Sarah sings, Surely my Lord hears it too. His jeers are at Isaac's expense. My son's persecution requires retribution. What mother would not rise in defense? 
And this leads into her singing the title of the song, Cast Them Out. After this passionate aria, the male chorus sings God's charge to Abraham, that is, he should heed his wife and send Hagar and Ishmael away. In this movement called God Will Provide, God assures Abraham that he will look after Hagar and Ishmael in the manner that he already had promised. So in this number, we hear this theme that we heard back in the overture, the God Will Provide theme. After this short movement, we move ahead to Hagar and Ishmael traveling through the wilderness and running out of water. This music sounds similar to the material heard earlier when the pregnant Hagar was fleeing to Egypt. Hagar tells her son that they are about to die from thirst. Ishmael cries out to God, represented again by the clarinet, reprising an earlier melody sung by Hagar when she was in the wilderness. Genesis 21:17 says that God heard the voice of the lad, and so the chorus continues this movement by reprising the same material heard earlier when they sang the humble cry and God will hear. Hagar is reminded of God's promise to Ishmael, and he reveals a nearby well where she and her son can be sustained. The movement finishes by reprising the God will provide material. When this movement is over, we skip ahead in the story to the famous moment where Abraham is told by God to sacrifice Isaac. In this song, titled By Faith, Abraham rehearses his history with God, how everything worthwhile he has accomplished to this point has been by faith. The lyrics come largely from a passage in Hebrews 11, where the phrase by faith is used over and over. Also referencing a verse in James 2, the lyrics refer to Abraham's faith being alive because of the works that showed his faith. The works in this case would be him obeying God and sacrificing his son. And Abraham, by faith, knows that God can bring life from things that are dead, just as Isaac's birth showed him years ago. So though Isaac is already dead in his father's mind, Abraham knows that God can resurrect him to perform the promises he has stated for Isaac. In the following movement, titled God Will Provide Reprise, Isaac sings for the first time. As they go up to sacrifice, he wonders where the lamb is. Abraham sings, God Will Provide, which has new meaning in this context, obviously. As this movement continues, it dawns on Isaac that He is who God will provide, the sacrifice. They both sing the phrase, The offering he ordered is bound to be slain. The word bound having double meaning. It's bound to happen, but also Isaac is literally bound at this point. Abraham reprises the phrase, I give to my Lord the best of my best. And then the orchestra plays a loud section indicating that Abraham is about to go through with killing his son, crescendoing and getting higher and higher to help illustrate the tension of this moment. Right at the height of this crescendo and at the height of the orchestra's range, the female chorus interrupts to depict an angel crying out to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am, here I am. And the angel continues to tell Abraham not to kill Isaac, but that God will provide. There in the thicket, the angel says, a ram is supplied. Instead of your son, its blood is applied. 
Following this, we have the male chorus singing, Now I know God realizes that Abraham will withhold nothing from God, and he promises to bless him beyond measure. In Genesis 22:16, God says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn. This ties into the Christian belief where God swore by his own life to bless Abraham. As our Chancellor Gerald Flurry wrote in his book, How to Be an Overcomer, in other words, he was telling Abraham, I'm going to give my life for you, or I'm going to die trying. Because you have done this deed, my death will pay for your sins, and I'm going to bring you into my family. I swear this by my own life. So I adapted that concept into the third verse of this chorus. This is where the action or the narrative ends, but we have one more movement. I've titled it Epilogue, Reach for That City. We will have heard fragments of this tune earlier in the work in the song Just Passing Through. In that song, Abram sang, Forgetting things which are behind, I reach for things which are before. This is based on a passage in Philippians 3.13. And in this finale movement, we are trying to express that idea that Abraham, though he sojourned in the land that his descendants would one day literally inherit, that he reached for a city that did not yet exist on earth. And this final chorus is based on that idea, particularly as described in Hebrews 11.14 that says they seek a country, and Hebrews 11.16 which says they desire a better country, that is a heavenly for God, it says, has prepared for them a city. And the word desire in verse 16 of Hebrews 11, where it says they desire a better country or a better city, is from a Greek word meaning to stretch out oneself in order to touch or grasp something, to reach after or desire something. So it's not just wanting, it's reaching. Abraham's whole life after conversion was based on reaching for that city he knew existed. And that's the concept being portrayed in this final number. I have one more live preview with piano accompaniment, and this is one of our choral union as well for you to sample here. It's not the epilogue or the finale, but it is the lyrical final movement to the first half titled, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord?, where God questions Sarah's laughter of disbelief at the prospect of her bearing a son. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we have explored my new oratorio, Abraham, as well as the artist presenting it in the lead-up to its world premiere at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, April 19th, 2018. 
You can follow this program or Armstrong Auditorium on social media to learn more about tickets and other information related to this event, this world premiere, as well as all of our events. The handle for this program on social media is music for life PCG. Again, this world premiere will be presented by professional soloists, a professional 31-piece orchestra, as well as the 70-member strong Herbert W. Armstrong College Choral Union. As we stated at the beginning of the program, our choral union, along with local professional orchestral musicians, performed on the inaugural concert at Armstrong Auditorium back in September 2010. And to finish today's program and to demonstrate the caliber of these orchestral players and our fine choral union, I want to play you the finale from that inaugural concert. This is the final movement, the final chorus from Felix Mendelssohn's Elijah. I hope you enjoy and I hope to see you soon at the world premiere of Abraham at Armstrong.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.